But here's, here's the thing, church. You and I are supposed to have hope. And we are supposed to be hope in a world that only has false hope. In the midst of everything that I just said, in the midst of the ugliness, things that I may not even mention, in the midst of it all, guess what? We are the church. And we are supposed to be a people who have real hope, a people who don't just have hope for myself, but I have a hope that I can offer the world because the world is sinking sand, y'all. The world can only offer you and I false hope. That's the reason why it's so heavy. You know why it gets so heavy for us sometimes? Just keep it 100. It's because we stop focusing on Christ. The whole point of this series is what? is to look unto the Lord unto the end. Focus on Christ until the end. That is the, the, the thought throughout this. To, to make us know, man, when it gets ugly and it gets heavy, Jesus is still on his throne. When it gets ugly and it gets overwhelming, Jesus is still on his throne. I want you to think about this this morning. Our hope doesn't fade when life does because it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. Our hope does not fade even when life does, because it is rooted in the faithfulness of God. And so when we look at chapter 14 in the book of Revelation, we see, and, and, and we're going to go back and look at some more scripture, you know, going backwards just to kind of bring our minds around what we've already seen, because you've had a couple of different people preaching. This is the first time that I preach, and I don't even know how long, hallelujah. You might be in for a long Sunday, glory to God. Yeah. But, 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 but the thing is, you've heard some different preachers get up here, and, and I intentionally brought some great you know, men that I love, and you know, Pastor Carlos Sarmento, who shared last week, I hope you were able to catch that, and the powerful encounter that he had with the Lord, and, 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 and how God has dealt with him. And I want you to know, me and, me and Pastor Carlos, we agree on probably 90% of what we teach in the book of Revelation. We don't agree on everything. Pastor, Pastor, or Dr. Pete Owenson brought him as well. He came in, did a great job. He talked to you guys about the trumpets and walked through those. And him and I, we agree on 90% of the book of Revelation. Our own minister, Jonathan, he got up here and he said, he don't know, what, you know, he don't know where he lands. He didn't, he didn't just accept the default position of a pre-wrath. He's like, I'm not sure where I land. Amen. Praise the Lord. He's a student of God's word. He doesn't have to take what Bishop says and, and say, well, that's what it is. No, because you know what? I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I can tell you this much. I'm definitely not wrong about us going through some trials and tribulation. I'm definitely not wrong about that. And, I, and, and I'm definitely not wrong about the fact that there will be a moment that those trials and tribulation end. Hallelujah. Amen. And I think, and what I'm going to talk about today, is that all of that culminates in something called the day of the Lord. This thing called the day of the Lord. It's when I study this, and I, and I give you a, a, a real quick, uh, you know, going back years when I first spoke on this, even before we moved into this building, and I spoke on Revelation and end times and went through the book of Daniel and went through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and looking at Jesus' words, and then came to the book of Revelation. And as I shared with the church at that moment, this is where I landed on this pre-wrath position that we will go through some of the tribulation period, and yet there will be a moment that we will be raptured and then the wrath of God will be poured out in full measure upon this earth. That's the position that I hold. I think that's the position that is consistent. But there is this thing called the day of the Lord that ties all of this stuff together. 
When we look at the book of, Re of Revelation chapter 14, at this point, the seals have been opened. We've seen the seals. They have all been opened at this point. The trumpets have all sounded at this point. Last week, we saw the wrath of Satan that is in warfare against God's people that are upon the earth. And I don't want you to get this confused. There, there will be people, hear me now, after the church is gone... These 144,000 that we're looking at, these are Jewish believers, and they are going to remain as witnesses on this earth. And as a result, during that tribulation period, when people have the option to get the mark of the beast or not, there will be people who are going to come to faith in Jesus, but they will have missed the rapture. Are you here? There are some people, and I hope that none of you are here or watching online, but there are some people who are within the church, visible, who are going to miss the rapture and who are going to stay behind. Now, I don't believe in that whole left behind series because I don't think that you miss the, you know, the, 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 I don't think that you don't go through any of it. But here's what I want you to know is that there will be people who are professing their faith in Jesus, but they're not really followers of Christ. And they will not go in the rapture, and yet, hear me now, they will know enough Bible to realize, well, you know what, I missed the first train, but I got to get on this second one. And that second one may cost me my life. As a matter of fact, it will, because I won't be able to buy, sell, or trade. I won't be able to do anything. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be chased, and I might be killed because, because what? I chose. This, we're going to see more of this next week, because this week we're going to deal with the day of the Lord. Well what, I, well, what I firmly understand is that we have to be prepared for this. And church, here's, here, here's, here's the most important thing that I, that I want to say before I move on. It is that we need to be sure that we are in the faith. We, let me say it again. We need to be sure that we are in the faith. Not just that we believe some stuff, but that we are in the faith. That we are walking with Christ because in my estimation, the way that I understand this, we are looking at a future event. It has not happened yet. We are looking forward to the time of what we're going to look at, which is Daniel's 70th week. We're looking forward to that time beginning. And then in the middle of that time, we are looking forward to the church being raptured and then the wrath of God being poured out. We're looking forward. So we want to be sure that we are walking. That's the reason why the book of Revelation is so important, because it wakes us up. It makes us become sober, hopefully, if we're not sleeping through the teaching and the preaching of it. And like, oh, I can't wait till he's done with this. What's the next series? No, no, no. Don't worry about the next series. Let's worry about this series. Let's make sure this series does something deep in our souls, deep in our hearts. Let's make sure that we are, man, am I in the faith? And it's not because I want you to fear, worried about losing, losing your salvation or something. No, that's not what I'm saying. Paul was pretty secure in his salvation, and he was communicating to the church of Corinth, hey, be sure you're in the faith. Be sure you are in the faith. Don't, 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 don't fake it to make it. Don't, don't learn a lingo. Don't, don't even learn some doctrines alone. Make sure you are in the faith. Very important for us. And so the question is this, what is, and I, and I love this because when we look at chapter 14, after all of this has happened, you know what God does again? What does he do? He gives us this beautiful picture. Let's just read it again. Then I looked. Then I looked. And behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion, that, that heavenly 
place, Mount Zion, Jesus is there. And with him, 144,000 having his father's name written on their heads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters, like we sang, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. And then we get the description, and we'll pause for a moment. What do we get here? We get this beautiful picture that after the seals have happened, after the trumpets have blown, after we're seeing the wrath of the Lamb and all of these judgments taking place, after we have looked at last week how the beast and the, and the Antichrist has risen up and made it clear who he is, and now his wrath is being poured out on those who are believers in the earth. You know what God does? God says, hold on a second, look up. Look up. Listen, I pray none of you missed this first, the first boat. But in case, in case you do, look up. In the midst of it, look up. And look at what's going on in heaven. There is worship that is happening in heaven. There is praise that is happening in heaven. The throne of God is not shaken while the earth is shaken and all. Guess what? Those people that he sealed way back, we're going to look at them again. Those people that he sealed back in the, the right before the seventh seal, remember that? He sealed those 144,000. These are the 144,000. And he makes it clear who they are here. So let's look at verse 4. He says, these are the ones who were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. These are those 144 Jewish people who were sealed and set apart to be witnesses for God. Now think about this for a moment because when you're looking at the book of Revelation, this is something that I think we mess up on. And this, this, is, this is what I think is one of the issues is that we don't differentiate between the saints of God, which is us right now, right? The people of God, the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers. There's a difference. You have to understand this. The book of Romans chapter 11 tells us that we are living in the time of the Gentiles, Hear me now. All of these, see, we, we went through, y'all remember we went through Romans? Remember we went through there? We walked through that. We talked about that. And I said chapters 9 through 11, that's like a, a moment where God is specifically speaking to the Jewish people. He's speaking Jewish language. He's bringing prophetic words that are written to Jewish people in particular. Understand this. We do not believe in a replacement theology, meaning that we, because we are a spiritual Israel for sure, that we replace natural Israel. We don't. God's prophetic words, this is the reason why I brought my friend Gabriel, you know, during the summer, and he talked about why Israel, the book's out there, if you, don't, if you haven't read it, make sure you pick one up before you go, and understand God is not done with Israel. As a matter of fact, his time clock is directly connected to a people called Israel. And when we're looking in the book of Revelation, the reason why we get confused, we're like, oh, well, the saints are going to be a father. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's going to be saints that are going to come to faith later on, but not the ones that have already gone and been raptured to be with the Lord. Those, those are a different group of people. And these 144,000, these are not representative of just every believer. No, 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 my friends. These are literal people whom God has redeemed and set, set apart for his purposes to be witnesses during the time of great tribulation. 
Because guess what? And this is sad, but because Israel has rebelled against God for so long, this is what the prophetic words say, that they are going to, and, and, and I hate to even use the word atone, but they are going to literally be atoning for their, for their sin and their rebellion because, listen to me, because they have rejected the Messiah. Because, not, not because they have to earn their own salvation. They're still going to have to put faith in Christ, but they have rejected Messiah. And not only have they rejected Messiah, but they have rejected the warnings that have come. And guess what? The time of the Gentiles finishes, and then we see God dealing in the book of Revelation with the children of Israel. I know that I just said a whole bunch. Hallelujah. I, I, this is what you wanted, right? You wanted the book of Revelation. Hallelujah. You wanted to, to deep dive. You wanted that scuba stuff. Glory to God, right? Uh, but there's a lot, right? Like, like you gotta, if you, if you want to know what revelation is, you, you got to dig. You can't just surface it, you know? And, 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 and my friends that came in, you know, they walk through, they pass through the passages, but I'm your pastor, and so you know what I'm going to do? We're going to dig in a little bit. We're, we're, we're going to understand this is, this is and, and, and listen, my passion is because, not because I want you to believe exactly why I believe. I want you to understand why I believe exactly what I believe. I want you to understand that I didn't just half-heartedly just pick up a book one day and say, hey, I like that. No, 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 that's not what happened. I studied these prophecies, and there was one thing that was messing me up because I couldn't understand how could, you know, Jesus talk about it, and, 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 and it seemed like we're going to go through some hardship, but then there's going to be rescue. I, I didn't understand how all that stuff culminated, right? And so I read one book, you know, I, I read the Bible, studied that out. Then I read one book that was a pre-tribulation rapture book, and I was like, ah, now nah, you you twisting too many scriptures, man. You can't, you're, deny, you're, you're ignoring stuff that, that's there because you want me to be like, no, that doesn't apply. Okay, and then I read another one. It was a post-tribulation rapture book. I was like, well, they got to get it, right? And I read them. I'm like, yeah, but you're ignoring the fact. You're saying that we're children of wrath, and the Bible says we are not children of wrath. And I was like, okay. And then finally I read one, the, and, you know, the, it was the, the rapture question answered plain and simple. It's, a, it's an awesome book. I, I, I encourage you to read it. And as I read that, he started talking about the day of the Lord. And I was like, oh, this is it. It's the day of the Lord. So what's the day of the Lord? So the term, the day of the Lord, is a term that is used 18 times in the Old Testament. The term, it by, by itself, the day of the Lord is a term. It's used 18 times. Now, the reference to the day of the Lord, which is the day, is used like over 200 times. 208 times, I think, is what it was. I didn't write that number down. But 18 times in the Old Testament, you see this word, the day of the Lord. So that's the first point that we're going to talk about. What is the day of the Lord? Mostly in Zephaniah, in the book of Joel, those are minor prophets in the Old Testament. They are communicating. They're using this terminology of the day of the Lord. And what we find out when you look at, when you read Joel and you read Zephaniah and you look at them in their books, you'll see that one part, and we're going to look at that in a moment, is harsh wrath, retribution. It is God's enemies are getting the smackdown. The nations that have rebelled against God, specifically Israel, is being judged harshly because God is mean. No. Because they have rejected him over and over. They have rebelled against him. Not just Israel, but the nations have rejected and denied him. And so we have this thing. But then there is another thing that happens. It is also, in one sense, the day of the Lord is a day of wrath and retribution, but it is also a day of rescue, a day of relief, a day of rejoicing for those who have repented, those who have put their faith in Christ. 
So when you look at the scripture, so let's look really quickly, turn to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is one of the minor prophets toward the end of your uh, Old Testament there, Zephaniah chapter 2, I, I want us, or, or chapter 1, we're going to look at Zephaniah chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 14, from verse 14 to verse 18, and if you start in the beginning, I, and, and I'll just read as you're turning there, uh, I'll give you a chance, but I want to read what, what Zephaniah says in verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, the stumbling blocks along, uh, along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of their idolatrous priests this, the, the, with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of the heavens on the housetop, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited guests, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such are the, are, are, as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? Let me give you, y'all are there, right? Zephaniah's summary. Let me give you a summary, verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of cloud and thick, and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarms against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Let me read that again. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Does that sound like fun? The day of the Lord is a day of God's wrath. We don't want to hear about God's wrath. And I know you're like, Bishop, I thought you weren't going to encourage us. I am. But I got to discourage you real good first because you're not discouraged enough yet, right, which is life in general. But the day of the Lord is not a day that you and I look forward to this day. That's not what we're looking forward to, right? This is a day. We don't want to hear about God's wrath. The fact is God is love 100%, but God is holy in his love. And because he is holy, he will judge all unrighteousness after he has been merciful, merciful, gracious, and kind. After he has been long-suffering, after he has called you to repentance, after he has said, turn from your sin, he will judge sin. And he will judge sinners. That's what he says here. 
Look at the book of Joel really quickly. Just go back a couple of chapters here right after Hosea, the book of Joel. The book of Joel in chapter 2, he begins to speak here, chapter 2 and verse 1. And look what he says. And, and, and I'm reading this because when we go to the book of Revelation now, I want you to remember the things that we just saw over here. And when we read Revelation and we go looking at chapter 6 and moving forward, and you're like, we already went through that. Yeah, but I want you to see it more clearly so you can see how it all ties together. You're going to see, wait a second, this stuff that Joel and Zephaniah were speaking of are the same things that John is describing that's happening in the book of Revelation. So here it is. Joel chapter 2 verse 1, he says, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess, a day of cloud and thick darkness. Like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been nor will there ever be any such after them. Even for many successive generations, a fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses." And like swift steeds, so they run with a noise like chariots. Over mountaintops they leap like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They run like mighty men. They climb the walls like men of war. Every one marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column, though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down to run to and fro. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the walls. They climb into the houses. They enter at, at, the, at the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? It's an intense army, is it not? It's an intense day. The day of the Lord is, is, is a terrifying thing for us to think about. Turn over to chapter 2 and, and, and Joel as well. I just want to read this because you know the first part of this verse, verses 28 and 29, where it speaks of God pouring out his spirit. But then you also know in the book of Acts, and we talked about this, verse 30, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens. And in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, didn't we just read about Mount Zion? And in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So you see these words here. I want you to notice this in, in the midst of all of that gloom and doom. What does he say? And all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, so in the midst of the day of the Lord, there's still opportunity for salvation, but your, your faith is going to really be tested. It's not going to be like, hey, can you come forward to the altar? Can you raise your hand? Squeeze your neighbor's hand and if you want to give your life to Jesus. You know all those good things we do in church, right? To make sure you're comfortable about making a commitment to Jesus, you know. We don't want to make you too uncomfortable, you know. Stand and keep everybody by your head, you know, all that. No, no, no. 
oh, you, 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 you don't want this mark? Okay. Oh, because you believe in, in that Jesus, right? Where, where, where's that Jesus at? It's, it, it's, it's, it's totally, it's, it's, that's not an Americanized Christianity. But here, let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 6. Because you read all that stuff, right, that we read. So go, go back to Revelation with me because I want you to see how John gets this picture. Revelation chapter 6. And, he, and remember, Revelation chapter 6 is dealing with the seals. And so these seals have occurred. But look at chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6 and verse 12. Six, the sixth seal. Cosmic disturbances. We talked about this. Look what it says. It says, I looked. When he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. You remember those words that you just heard a moment ago? And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a, as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This is the connector. This is the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation. So five seals have occurred, and then all of a sudden there is this, this, this cataclysmic, cosmic thing that goes on, and there is this outpouring of wrath that is about to happen where men begin to be terrified by what they are seeing. You see it clearly. You see again here, look, go, go to chapter 7. Chapter 7, we see there the sealing of the 144,000. So before God pours out his wrath on the earth, remember the 144,000 we saw in chapter 14, what does he do? He seals them here. The seventh seal, right before the seventh seal happens, he seals these 144,000 who are going to be witnesses so that way all of the wrath that he's about to pour out the same way. Think about this now because remember, he's dealing with Israel here. So what, this Again, I want to repeat this. The reason why we have an issue interpreting Revelation is because we read it as Americans. We read it as those who put ourselves in the middle of everything. It's all about us. It's not all about us. God has told us throughout his word that there is a way that he deals, and there are a people, Jewish people, literal Jewish people, that he is going to deal with, that he still has a covenant with, who are going to reject the Messiah. We're going to see all. Those, we have to see this in the context, because if not, we miss Revelation, and we're like, well, I don't know. No, 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 don't, don't say I don't know. We just showed you. Again, you don't have to take my words. I'm just trying to help you to see, like, where the connections are. The day of the Lord, and look at verse 9 in chapter 7. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the 
throne and worship God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in, arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? This is so important for us, right? I know we went through this, right? But you need to see the connection here and that way you can understand the timetable of what is happening. And what does he say in verse 14? He says, and I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who was in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's your hope. There's your encouragement in the midst of this, this day of the Lord. But I want you to look at chapter 8 really quickly, and we're, we're almost done in Revelation here for now. Chapter 8 says this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. Now, I don't want you to get caught up in the half hour, because that's what will happen to us. We'll look at, well, what is this half hour? What is this symbol? I want you to focus on the silence in heaven. Up until this point, there's been worship in heaven, right? And all of a sudden, there is silence. Why? I think, I, for me, I think it's like a gas. Like, because heaven is seeing the wrath of God that is about to be poured out. But look at what he goes on to say. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Remember when you go back, and I think it's to the fifth seal, is it? Yes, the cry of the martyrs, chapter 6. Remember they prayed under the altar, Lord, how long? This is the answer. Now is time. Their prayers are being mixed with fire coming before the throne. And the answer to their prayers is what? The wrath of God that is going to be poured out on all of those who have missed the rapture and have rejected the lamb and have rejected God's saving grace. The day of the Lord, my friends, is the key. The concept of God's judgment. Now, we looked at Old Testament and we looked at some New Testament. But here's what I want you to know and we'll move on to the next point. I know that's my first point. I got four minutes and 32 seconds. Hallelujah. I'm going to need an hour today, just so you know. So if you can add 20 minutes, y'all gave me 40 minutes. So I'm going to need 20 more minutes just so I can work through this, but I appreciate it. Y'all okay if we spent an hour together, right? You came, right? You made it. It's been two weeks. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. The concept of God's judgment 
day, the day of the Lord is not foreign to the New Testament writers either. We see this in Revelation, but Jesus confirms it. Go and read Jesus' words in all of the Gospels. I encourage you, sit down, you know, start in Matthew 24, read what Jesus says, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. See Jesus' words there, and you will see what he is communicating. He's talking about all of this stuff, the day of the Lord. The people that were there were waiting for this day to come. You see the teachings of the end times and into the epistles that we'll look at in a moment. Those things are the day of the Lord. And I want you to get this. You need to understand this. Every generation, Pastor Carlos said this in an interview. He didn't say this when he was teaching us last week. But this is so true. Every generation since the time that Jesus ascended thought that they would be the generation to see the coming of Christ. And they should. Now, here's the thing. After 70 AD, all the way until 1948, they shouldn't have. Because it was during that time period that Israel was not, the, the, the temple was destroyed. Israel was not a nation. But in 1948, from that moment, oh, now these things can happen. When, when, when Israel became a nation again, when Israel took over Jerusalem again, once those things occurred, understand this, what we're looking at, oh, now it can, it can happen at any time. This, this last kingdom that Daniel looked at, and I don't have time to get into that. We will look at Daniel in our next point. But that last kingdom that Daniel talked about, that eighth kingdom that we see here and that we'll look at as we, as we move forward that you saw forming last week, that kingdom can formulate. Those kingdoms can all come together. Those seven nations, I think it is, can all come together. Overnight, they can do this kind of stuff because we wouldn't even know what's going on in the background. You know that, right? You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know that by the time the news hits us, they've already figured all this stuff out, done all their manipulation and all that kind of stuff. They've already given you the story they want you to hear. Hello. Which is why the Antichrist is going to come up on the scene. It's going to be so surprising when, he, when he's able to do the peace thing. But anyway, we need to understand that it's not just a saying we're living in the last days. We are living in these end times. So second thing is, why is the day of the Lord significant? I think I've given you some answers to that question. Why is the day of the Lord significant? And I, I, I think, and again, my opinion is that the day of the Lord brings harmony to the end time prophecies. I don't know if you see it, I see it, but it brings harmony. It helps us to understand how can we think about wrath and also a day that, that righteous, repentant people look forward to. How does that all culminate? How does that all come together? And, and so what we have to realize is that there's something. I want you to turn to one, one more Old Testament book, the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel because Daniel is a prophet, powerful prophetic word that God gave him. Daniel is praying in repentance. Daniel chapter 9, he's praying in repentance before the Lord, humbling himself before God. He's asking God about the, the time of his judgment and all of these things. And Daniel communicates some stuff. And why do I want to look at Daniel? So this is what we see in Daniel, something called Daniel's 70th week. It's the 70th week in Daniel. It's not Daniel's 70th week, but it's the 70th week of the prophetic timetable that God gives to Daniel. So look at look with me, if you would, to Daniel chapter 9. And, and I'm, I'm not going to read all of these verses first. We're going to just walk through them together and look at them. But there's some significant things that have occurred here. In Daniel, that, that give us an understanding. Now, remember we talked about the first seal. Remember that horse on the white, the white horse there? Remember him? 
He had the bow and all that kind of stuff. He was the, we, we talked about that, comparing it to Jesus' words. It would seem like he was that false Messiah, right, like one of those voices. He was going to be that Antichrist that's going to come up on the scene and begin Daniel's 70th week. This, this last week that we're waiting on, and this 70th week, right, it's, it's not just a week like seven days, it's seven years, which is where we get that whole, you know, seven years of tribulation, and so what happens is this is what, this is what God speaks to Daniel. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. He says this. Well, let's look at verse, verse 23. We'll look at verse 23. It says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. And so Gabriel brings this message to Daniel. This is what he says in verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined. For your people, Israel, and for your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. So notice what he says here, just verse 24. This is the time frame that God gives in God's judgment clock, if you want to call it that, and it deals directly with natural Israel again, his people, and also Jerusalem, the holy city. When you look at this, when you're looking at these 70, this 70 weeks, this is actually can be translated 70 sevens or 70 time periods of seven years, which equals four. And listen, y'all know my math is not great, but I got this written down, so it's already been calculated for me, okay? <laughs> but it's 70 periods of seven years, which equals 490 prophetic years. Right? This, this is what he says to Daniel here. This is what's going to happen. And during this time, he says what? He talks about the finish to finish transgression. In other words, they're going to pay for their rebellion. Because of what? Because they haven't accepted the payment for their rebellion. Do you get that? I, I want you to understand that because I don't want you to walk out of here, be like, oh, well, God is making people pay for their sin. Only people who don't want to accept his payment for sin. That's it. Amen. Nobody is going to pay for their own sin. We cannot. But because God made a covenant with Israel, he is going to allow them to go through tribulation as a purification, which is significant as the day of the Lord approaches, right? Because they're going to experience it. So they're going to finish the transgression, make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, because God is going to bring in this everlasting righteousness. He's going to bring it all to pass. So that is the first part that we see here. Now, what we have to understand is that up until this point, we have 483 years that have already been accomplished in this prophetic timetable. There's just seven years left. That's all that's left. What are you talking about? Okay, let's go to the next verse, verse 25. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild or to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 483. I'm just going to give you that number right there. 483 years is there. The streets shall be built again, and the walls even in troublesome times. Now, verse 25, this is a prophecy that totals 483 years. I know I'm giving you a lot. Again, you want a revelation. Here it is. From the time of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Do you remember when that decree came? The book of Nehemiah. Remember when King Artaxas, chapter 2, verse 5, he commands Nehemiah to go back and rebuild. From that moment, 445, what is it, 445 B.C., under king, from that moment, check this out. This is so awesome. If, you, if, you, if you're missing stuff, wake up right now. This is very important. 
from 445 BC, from that moment when you use the 360 day calendar, you have exactly 483 years to the day when Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on the donkey. Daniel, Daniel's pretty awesome. He was hearing from the Lord. Gabriel was definitely talking. 483 years happens. He goes in there into Jerusalem. So from that moment that the decree is given, all the way until this time, 483 years perfectly, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What is that talking about? His crucifixion. Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. It's not, it's not for him. It's because of their rebellion against him. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And so who is this prince that is to come? That was a guy by the name of Titus who came in 70 AD and destroyed the temple in the city. That's why a lot of historical people who look at Revelation historically are like, oh, Titus was the one because he set up worship, abomination of desolation. Oh, he's a type, but he's not the one. There's something else that's going to happen in the future that is going to occur when the Antichrist comes on the scene. But again, verse 26, this is the prophecy regarding Jesus' rejection of his people and the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD under Titus. That was the prince to come. Now, verse 27, here's where we are. Verse 27. Then they shall confirm, then he, this prince, right, not necessarily Titus, but then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the beginning of the seals right there. Hasn't happened yet. What was going to happen is Israel, let me tell you something. The moment, and I know that we all want peace in the Middle East. I know we're all looking for the peace deal. Let me tell you something. The moment that that peace deal happens, you better wake up. And you better start counting and be like, Lord, I, you, listen, if you haven't repented yet, you better repent then. And watch who the person is who accomplishes this stuff. Because what he's going to do, he's going to come and say, man, you see all this hell that's going on over here? You see Afghanistan, you see all this other stuff that's going on. You see all the Taliban and ISIS-K, and I guess they're going to have X, Y, and Z, ISIS. I don't know, but anyway. See, all the, we're going to get rid of all of this. I got the plan. I'm going to bring peace over here. People listen to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they listen to you all right. So when you see that, you need to be like, whoa, Bishop told us about this. No, Bishop didn't do anything. Daniel said that. I'm just telling you his words. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Remember that last week, that 70th week, right? For one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined and is poured out on the desolate. The 70th week is what we're looking at. When we're looking at these prophecies here, we're looking at what we just saw in Revelation chapter 8, when the silence comes in heaven. What we saw in the beginning of Revelation chapter 6, when the covenant is made, when the Antichrist has come, when that occurs in that moment, this clock starts ticking. Israel makes peace. All of a sudden, you're going to see this person come up in the middle of it all, and he's not getting worship. Everybody can worship whoever they want until 
the middle of it, he's going to be like, no, 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 you know what? I'm God. I'm the one that brought peace here. I'm the one that deserves your worship. So we're waiting on this 70th week. Now, why did I walk through all of this? Because you see everything else that's already happened? What makes you think that last part's not going to happen? I mean, down to the 483 years, I mean, down to, you know, Titus destroy. All of these prophecies have occurred, and so we need to know, hey, this is why this is, this is significant. The day of the Lord is going to happen the same way that all of this has happened. What is the purpose of the day of the Lord? And I don't have time to get into all of it, but I will tell you one purpose of the day of the Lord is to purify Israel, physical Israel. That remnant will be there. Another purpose for the day of the Lord is for those people, especially confessing, professing believers who say that they are followers, but they really are proven that they are not. It's for them to be purified as well. It's God being merciful in the midst of that. I know it sucks because it's going to be painful. It's going to be terrible. But you know what? You choose to reject Jesus, you're going to experience the consequences. And so we have this prophecy here for us to hold on to in the middle of this. And this all occurs, this whole day of the Lord occurs in the middle of Daniel's 70th week is when all of that occurs. And that is when we are raptured, praise the name of the Lord. Which brings me to my third point. How is the day of the Lord our hope? How is the day of the Lord our hope? You're already in Daniel, so you can just go over to Zephaniah. I want you to go over to Zephaniah. I want you to see something there. But here's what I want you to know. In Luke chapter 21, verse 28. This is what Jesus says when he is talking about everything that is going to occur. This is what he says. He says, when you see all of these things, lift up your eyes. Your redemption draws near. He doesn't say bury your head in the sand. He doesn't say run to Georgia. Hello, somebody. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, lift up your eyes because your redemption is coming. So church, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. It has to get heavy. It has to get intense. It ha- Listen, there, there are some things that have to happen. We're going to look at these scriptures. I'm going to run through them quickly. But Jesus says that. For Israel, the day of the Lord ushers in salvation for them because the day of the Lord is the end of the period of the Gentiles that was spoken of in Romans 11. And so what does God tell? God tells the children of Israel, the ones who have predominantly and mostly rejected him, the 144,000 Jews, they are the first fruit is what chapter 14 of Revelation said. You know what first fruits is? First fruits is a type of offering that was given. And the symbol in the first fruits was this, is that I'm giving the first fruits because the harvest remains. And so why are they the first fruits? The 144,000, they're the first fruits of the harvest that is going to come during the tribulation period. Get that. They are the first fruits that are going to come up before the Lord. And both Zephaniah, and they tell us something. This is beautiful. Zephaniah chapter 2, look at this. Zephaniah chapter 2, it says, gather yourselves together. After he just made this proclamation, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. Oh, undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So what does he tell them? He says, hey, there's hope. Repent. You hear the warning. Turn, repent, go back to Joel. Joel, another beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture. 
Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says this. It says, now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who... um, Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. And he continues on to encourage them. Those are words of encouragement. But notice this. Please hear me. Those words are on the tail end of repentance. Repentance will always precede God's mercy. You want God to remember mercy and wrath, there has to be repentance. There has to be a turning away from our sin. Turn with me to the New Testament because I want to give you some more encouragement. I got seven minutes. You guys are amazing. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Titus. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And I I just want you to hear the words of Scripture that should encourage us. The Old Testament gives us promises. Those promises are specific to Israel, right? Those, Those promises are specific to his dealing with them. He is communicating to them, repent. Repent. And I'll relent to send my wrath. But the Apostle Paul reminds us, he's writing to Gentiles and Thessalonians and Thessalonica, He's writing to those who are saved by the blood of the Lamb. He's encouraging them. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, when you got to say so. It says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, remember that term? It's there in the New Testament. So comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let me say it again. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation for God. Listen to me, church, right here. This is it. For God did not appoint us to wrath, 
but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing how are we supposed to encourage each other let me promise you a good life that's what we want to do let me promise you no tribulation Let me promise you no hardship. No, I encourage you by letting you know there's a future promise for you. I encourage you by letting you know that in this life you will have sorrow. That's that's unfortunate, but it is a fact. In this life, one of the lessons that we teach our kids, I hope we teach our kids this. My son actually repeated it back to me the other day, so I think we're getting somewhere. Life is not fair. (laughs) Life is not fair. Oh, that's not fair. I know. Get used to it. (laughs) Life is not fair because we live in a fallen world. So how do we encourage one another? Well, Paul encouraged them, not by telling them that everything's going to be great, but he encouraged them by letting them know what was going on. But he doesn't just end there. He warns them of great deception. Look at chapter um, 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 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look, Look at what Paul says to the believers here. He says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, let me pause real quick because you know why he's telling them not to be troubled? Because they were going through hell. They thought, well, Jesus, can it get any worse than this? Can there be a worse king than the one who's on the scene? Can there be worse persecution than is happening? They they were concerned. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. The day of the Lord has not come yet. The day of Christ hasn't come yet. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, listen to what he says, will not come unless, hear me now, the falling away comes first. You hear those words? What are we seeing right now, church? All the division that you see in the body of Christ, especially over what is holy and what is not, you know what that is? It's a falling away. So when I'm telling you we're living in these last days, you should rejoice. It's like, that sucks. It does. But look, God's word is true. God's word is faithful. He said this would happen But not just that, he says, the falling away must confer, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know that you, you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume. Look at this. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. There's hope. He's not the winner. 
The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because what? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Again, the result of this is what? Look at this, verse 11. For And for this reason, because they don't love the truth, because they love their sin, because they reject Jesus, God will send them strong delusion that they should not that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's a lot of other scriptures that I could read. I encourage you to read 2 Peter chapter 3 on your own time, but I want to read the last portion, Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we shall live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. We live in a day people don't want to live holy. They want to live how they want to live. Church, we're not in the dark. We are in the light. And we need to live as children of the light. We need to live holy in the midst of a dark world. The church has, listen, the church is going to experience persecution, hardship. But you know what? You need to be the church no matter what. You need to be the church that gives the world real hope in the midst of whatever's going on in this world. We need to be those people. We are promised, we are promised in the book of Genesis, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. We promise death. That's a fact. Death entered this world. And you know how we experience death through sorrow, through suffering, through heartache. But you know what our hope is? Our hope is that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Our hope is that, you know what? All of these prophecies that he's already brought to pass, oh, he's not done. Hello. He didn't say, well, you know what? I, f- I fulfilled three of them. I'm going to leave the fourth one undone. No, 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 my friends. We're sitting in this, in this period, this gap. But just know we're seeing the words of God standing or, or coming to pass. And so my closing question for you is this. Where is your hope? Where's your hope? Is your hope in Christ? Is your hope firmly rooted in him? Or is your hope somewhere else? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Lord, I've said a lot. I'm grateful that this is recorded And so hopefully my brothers, my sisters can go back. They can look at this again, dig in, pause, rewind, open up their Bibles and really understand what your word says. Father, help us to be a people who really have hope. A people who really have the hope that comes from you as we look in your word. 
Father, I pray for anyone in this place that is struggling with hope in the midst of this dark moment, for anyone online that is struggling with hope in the midst of this darkness, God, may our hope come from you. We thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb that washes us. And we do pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to those who are lost. And may these words of warning Awaken even Israel and awaken those who know the scriptures but reject them. Lord, have mercy on our loved ones that do not love the truth. God, have mercy on those who have accepted the lie. God, have mercy on those who are bitter and angry toward you because you said no when they wanted you to say yes. Help us to be a people whose hope is in you firmly. And as you did for John in Revelation, may you do for us now. Open our eyes so we can see your throne and your glory and you being unshaken by what is shaking this earth. And as you reminded us this morning as we read through the Psalms, you're not shaken. And you're there. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We pray this in Jesus' good name and everyone said.